This is from James chapter 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all he does. Amen. It struck me as I was studying this passage this week that perfection is something that we rarely experience in life. And whenever someone approaches perfection, whenever they get near to it, we immediately become enthralled by that pursuit. Um, I'm sure most of you remember the 2007 New England Patriots, right? Who was around for that? That year they did something that no one before them had ever done. In the road to the Super Bowl, they won every single game. They went 18-0, headed into the Super Bowl weekend. It's not a surprise why they did that. They had the greatest quarterback of all time at the peak of his powers. They had one of the greatest receivers of all time, Randy Moss. He had 23 touchdowns that year. It was incredible. Within the Super Bowl came, you probably remember, they faced off against the New York Giants, who had lost six times that season. They, they barely even made the playoffs, and they had just lost to the Patriots in December. But I will, I'll never forget watching that game and David Tyree catching that football against his helmet. I will never forget the group of Pats haters that I was watching the game with. And let me tell you, I would still be traumatized by that game <laughs> if it weren't for the three Super Bowls we won after that. <laughs> Perfection is something that you can maybe see in the sports world, right? I think sports is a, is a helpful illustration because it's really one of the few areas where people get close to it and sometimes achieve it. But what about our souls? What about in the, the spiritual realm? Is there such a thing as spiritual perfection? Is that something that we should try to achieve? Is that something that we are supposed to hope for? Last week, uh, Pastor Mason started us off with the first four verses of this book. And if you remember verse four of James, it ends with these words. He says that you would be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Or the ESV translation puts it that you would be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. Now, look, if you think a 19-0 football season seems like a difficult goal, that's a really lofty goal, right? Being perfect and complete, not lacking anything. And James isn't alone. He's not the only person in Scripture that, that says things like this. In fact, Jesus said something very similar in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember it? He said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, as we start, as we're going to see in the next few weeks and months, as we start to 
drill down into the book of James, what you're going to find out is one of the major themes of this book is the path, the pursuit of what you might call spiritual completion, spiritual wholeness, spiritual maturity. And it's a path that it's going to, a path that takes us through trials. It's a path that takes us through suffering. It's a path that ultimately impacts every single piece of our life. And here, right at the beginning of the book, James begins with a very simple thought. The thought that we're going to think about this morning, the the main idea that I want to put in front of you today is that spiritual wholeness requires wisdom. And God will give it to you if you ask. Spiritual completion requires wisdom, and God will give that to you if you ask. And so I want to break this down today by asking three simple questions. One, why start with wisdom? Two, how do we get wisdom? And three, what's stopping us from getting it? So why do we start with wisdom? Why does James start from this this spot? He says, right, he wants us to be complete, not lacking anything. And then he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. All right, so the simple answer is the reason why James starts with wisdom is because wisdom is an essential weapon in our fight against sin. And wisdom is something we naturally lack. That's important because he's laying out this vision, right? This perfect vision, this vision of somebody who's got it all together, who's lacking nothing. But the first thing he says is, If anybody lacks wisdom, because he knows, at least in some regards, we all lack wisdom, right? Wisdom is something that you have to gain over the course of your entire life. No one is born wise, right? You're never going to hear somebody say, well, if you really want some wise advice, you need to go talk to a toddler, right? Go go ask them how you should uh, approach the world. You know, if you went to my four-year-old and, and asked her for some sagely advice, she'd tell you things like, if you see something you want, you should do whatever you can to get it immediately. Right? If you'd like to live a healthy lifestyle, 90% of your diet should be mac and cheese. Right? She'd say, if somebody makes you angry, well, what you need to do is just scream. <laughs> just scream and scream and scream until everything's better. Right? Of course not. Right? Wisdom is something that has to be borne out over time. It's something that we gain through experience. Of course. On the other hand, just being old doesn't necessarily mean that you're wise. Amen? Amen? I know that we've got some wise people in this room. I know we have uh, some, some folks here who do have some, some experience in life who, who have gained some wisdom over time. But because you are here, I know that you'll agree to, with me to say there are also a lot of old fools out there, right? Wisdom comes over time, but it's not a guarantee. Wisdom involves experience, but it's more than just experience, right? Wisdom is insight. 
Wisdom is knowledge. Wisdom is discernment. Wisdom is good judgment. Wisdom is, here's the definition I, I want to give you this morning. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Wisdom is a full understanding of life that must be given by God. Wisdom is a full understanding of life that must be given by God. And that last piece is really crucial. True wisdom comes from God. In fact, I want you to repeat that. True wisdom comes from God. Say that. True wisdom comes from God. The Bible tells us that. That's not news. It shows up all over Scripture. You might remember Paul in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, there is something that the world calls wisdom, but it's not the same thing as what God calls wisdom. He says, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you must become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Remember that? And in this book, in James, later on, we're going to get there. He says that there is this thing called worldly wisdom, but then there is also the wisdom that comes down from heaven. That's how he, how he describes it. And he says, the wisdom that comes down from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and it's sincere. True wisdom, it comes from God. And another thing scripture tells us about wisdom is that true wisdom begins with the fear of God. The book of Proverbs talks a lot about this. Proverbs chapter 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. And then hear this, he says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And in case that's not clear enough, just a couple chapters later, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Real wisdom, heavenly wisdom, begins with the fear of God. The antidote to worldly wisdom, the remedy for our lacking, right? James is talking about wholeness and completion. The path to wholeness begins, the first step, it begins with fearing God. When it comes down to it, if we had a right fear of God in our lives, we'd have a lot less problems. Now, I know we tend to get tripped up on that word fear. Fear is, it's an idea that we don't completely understand in our culture. It seems, well, it seems kind of like the opposite of love to us, right? We, we think of God as a loving, heavenly father, and then it's hard for us to figure out where this idea of fear fits into it, right? We think, no, it's an angry God that you're supposed to fear, not a loving God. You don't, you don't fear a loving God. But let me, let me put it this way. Fear always plays a part in our worship. Whether you worship God or you worship something else, fear always plays a part 
in our worship. Think about it like this. When you choose to give into your lusts and your addictions, why do you do it? Well, you do it because you fear the suffering that's going to come if you do not gratify yourself. You do it out of a fear that you're going to miss out on something. You do it out of a fear that your life will be less fulfilling if you follow God. Or what about when when we choose to dismiss God's word and what God says and instead go with what the culture says? Go with what the world around us thinks. Well, we do that because we fear the pain of being excluded. We fear that if we disagree with everyone else, we're going to be on the outside looking in, and that's going to be too much for us. Or what about when we blow up in anger? Well, I I say we do that because we fear. We fear that powerless feeling of, of giving up the fight. Or of admitting that that we're wrong about something. Whenever we act, we do it because there is a fear of of losing, of missing out. And that fear, the fear that you end up obeying, the fear that you end up responding to, I'll say that points to what you really worship. The thing you fear points to the thing that you desire above everything else. Does that make sense? The thing that you fear points to the thing that you worship. When you fear the Lord, what you want the most is to glorify Him and to enjoy His presence. And what you fear the most is being far from Him. Being away from his presence. Being separated from him. And so if wisdom is, like I said, that definition I gave you, it's a a full understanding of the world that's given by God, then you can understand how fearing God is the starting point. The first step to wisdom is to recognize That what you need most in this world is God and God only. And the worst thing that could possibly happen to anybody is that we would spend eternity apart from him. So the first question is, why does James start with wisdom? Well, he starts with wisdom because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the path to spiritual wholeness. James starts with wisdom because wisdom, at its core is a God-given ability to desire God more than everything else. And we need that. Okay, so now you say, great, I do need that. I would like that. I would like some wisdom. How do I get it? How do we get wisdom? Well, James tells us, verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to you. This verse has an incredible promise in it. Do you hear that? 
I want to be careful that we don't just rush by verse 5. We need to sit in verse 5 for a minute. Amen? Amen? He says that you should ask God for wisdom who gives generously to all without finding fault. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Really, do you believe that God receives your prayer with a spirit of generosity? Do you believe that God hears you with a generous heart? Or do you think God's keeping a tally of your shortcomings? Do you think God is withholding himself from you because he wants to teach you a lesson? Now, of course, this isn't like a a proof text for us to lean on every time we pray anything, right? This is not... The, the thing that, that we go to and uh, when, we, when we're praying for outrageous miracles, right? That, that God will give generously to all without finding fault, right? We can't say that this is the verse that guarantees God's going to heal everybody who has cancer or God's going to make us all rich, right? This isn't a promise that God is going to do anything and everything we want. But it is a promise. It's a promise that if we ask for wisdom... He won't turn us away. If we ask for wisdom, he's not going to punish us or withhold it. As a father, sometimes I, I do withhold things from my children, things that they want because they've broken the rules. Sometimes I withhold blessings in order to teach them a lesson. The other day, I won't share all the details of it, but we had an incident where it ended with one of my kids having to sit out for two hours while all the rest went to this place called Sky Zone, which is like a trampoline park. It's, it's the best place on earth for kids. And, and it stunk. I had to sit there with her, and, and she didn't get to participate. But I did that because I love her, and I wanted her to learn a lesson. But you know what? Even on the worst days, even on the most disobedient days, I would never turn down a request for something that was necessary for my children's lives. I wouldn't ever refuse to feed them or shelter them or show them affection because my child needs those things. My children need those things. And this is the promise that we're hearing right here. Wisdom is necessary for godliness. And if you ask, God says that without question, he is going to answer without finding fault. Because he loves you. Because you're his child. Because you belong to him. And it says, you know what it says? It says he won't just give you a little. And he's not going to just answer one or two people who come to him with that prayer. But he says he gives what? Generously to all. He gives generously to all of us. So that means there's some practical stuff. It means practically that if you're in this room today and you're not a believer. If you're here today and you're sitting in the pews and you're listening to all this stuff and, and you just don't believe. But maybe you want to. Well, it says you can ask God for wisdom. Just go ahead, pray. If that's what you desire, ask God to show up. 
The truth is, you can't follow God unless he shows up. You can't believe unless he awakens your soul to believe. But God says that if you come to him and you desire to fear him, he'll answer that prayer. And it also means that if you're here, and you are a Christian, but you look at your life, and you have to admit that if wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, well, there's some places in your life where you lack it. If you look at your life and you say, you know, I am just falling consistently into the same traps. I am always falling into the same sin. There are a lot of things in my life that I fear more than the Lord. If that's true of you, let me ask you this. When was the last time you asked God for wisdom? When was the last time that you honestly bowed before him in humility and, and asked him, Lord, give me wisdom today. Give me a full understanding of your world so that I can see through these lies that keep tripping me up. We struggle with all kinds of sin. All of us. There's not an innocent person in this room, but you know, I am convinced that a lot of our sin, at the root of it, not just bad behaviors, but there is a prayerlessness at the center of our lives. There is a lack of willingness to go before God and receive the grace and the mercy and the wisdom that we need to fuel us. At the root of our sin is prayerlessness and distance, not just a lack of self-control. And so this promise, it can't be much clearer, guys. It says, if you want wisdom, ask, and he'll give it. It's that simple. Why does James say seek wisdom? He says it because it is necessary for you to grow in godliness. It's the only way to spiritual wholeness. And how do we get it? We just ask. We get it by asking. So I think that leads us to the, the third natural question. What's stopping us from doing that? What's stopping us? Well, verse 6, James follows up with this. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. These verses are scary. I'll be the first to admit. These are the kind of verses that just, if you pluck them out of context, if those are the only verses that you have, that's a scary thing to read. Why would James, though, let me ask you, why would James bother writing verse 5 if he was going to immediately contradict everything in verses 6 through 8. Do you think this means that, that God only hears prayers if they are prayed perfectly, with absolute faith? Well, no, right? Of course not. We have other 
places in Scripture to tell us that that is absolutely not the case. You remember Mark, right? The Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, the father who brings his son to Jesus for healing. Do you remember that story? It says that he brings his son, and, and the way he approaches Jesus, he says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. And Jesus says, if I can, everything is possible for those who believe. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Yes. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help me. And of course, you know how Jesus responds. He immediately heals the boy that no one else was able to heal. He takes him up by the hand. He's miraculously healed. Or what about the Great Commission? Do you remember that story? The end of the Gospel of Matthew, all the disciples are gathered on a hill, and it says that Jesus speaks to the crowd, and he gives them the charge Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. you remember that? Do you remember the verse before it? Do you remember the one that comes right ahead of it? It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. That commission, that charge that Jesus gave to go and evangelize the ends of the earth was given to a people who were filled with both worship and doubt. Scripture tells us that doubt does not disqualify us from God's blessing. Your doubt doesn't disqualify you. It makes you human. And if we aren't honest, we will... It's a dangerous thing for us to be dishonest about that. But when we get back to our passage, I want you to know what James is talking about here is something more devious than just simple doubt. What James is talking about, he goes so far as to describe as being double-minded. Not just having questions, but this is the person who is seeking God's wisdom, but who is unwilling to give up on the world's wisdom. It's the person who wants God's blessing, but refuses to bow before him in true repentance. You can't serve two masters. You cannot live in the fear of God and also live in the fear of the world. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But you know what? It's not the end. See, once God has opened your eyes to see that he's worthy of worship, once he has opened your eyes to fear him, to recognize that, that he's the only one that deserves our praise, once he allows you to see that the, the worst thing that could happen is that you would be apart from him. Once you see your desperate need for him above everything else, the next thing you have to see is the cross. 
The next thing you've got to realize is that God has made a way to ensure that you are secure with Him. Even in the midst of your doubts. That even while you are still pursuing spiritual wholeness, even though you're not all the way there, even when you are facing the daily reality that you're still actually pretty broken, God made a way. And He did that by sending His Son to stand in our place. Scripture tells us that Jesus, He had a perfect faith. Jesus, he had an unwavering faith. Jesus was the only one who was ever perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Amen? And Jesus followed God in perfect obedience all the way to his death for you. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is the hope of our salvation. And so while we're talking about faith and while we're talking about doubt, and if you're wondering if your faith is strong enough, let me remind you of this, that we are saved through faith, but it's not our faith that saves us, right? Maybe you've heard that illustration. I know I've used it plenty of times, but, but if you're falling off a cliff and there's a branch sticking out the side, it doesn't matter if you believe a lot or a little, it just matters if you grab onto it, Right? It's not the strength of our faith, it's the strength of our Savior that holds us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is what makes us grab on. But once we do, once we realize that, yeah, Jesus, He is strong enough to hold us, then we also get to see how merciful He is. We get to see how loving He is. We get to experience His power at work in our lives. We get to see that He gives generously to us. That He gives us His Spirit to transform us. And He makes the promise that one day, a real day in the future, maybe not too far from now, one day we are going to stand before Him in glory having endured trial, having stood faithful, one day we're going to stand in Jesus' presence and like James says here, we will be mature and we will be complete and we will be lacking nothing. So, if that's something you want, if that wholeness is something that you desire, if the wisdom from heaven is something you long for today, then I want to invite you to come with me to this table. I want to invite you to come in repentance, to come in faith, to turn away from all those other things that you've chosen to fear, and to fear the Lord.